welcome to Faith Point, the podcast ministry of First Southern Baptist Church of Prescott Valley with Senior Pastor Carol Eldreth. Our goal is to allow our faith to intersect with real life. So let's join Pastor Carol today as he shares with us from God's Word. Let's bow in prayer as we come to God's Word together. Father, this morning as we open your Word to hear from you, we pray that you would speak to us. Speak to us about purpose. Speak to us about your will for our lives. Speak to us about our obedience. Father, we pray that indeed we would find ourselves obedient. That we would find ourselves anxious to do your will. Father, we pray that your spirit would pour down on this place. That, that our lives would be changed. And Father, we pray that in the midst of these moments, you would find joy in us. That we would bring a pleasing aroma of offering and sacrifice to you through our lives, through the decisions that we make. Father, we pray you'd speak to the hearts of those who are hearing today who've never trusted Jesus to be Savior and Lord. We're struggling to figure out what life is all about. Is it just that we live here and die and then we just go away? Or is there more? Father, let them see that there is hope, that there is life, that there is eternity in Jesus Christ and in him alone today. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus, the life giver. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Once you take out your sermon notes as you open your Bible, 1 Corinthians, good news for the not so good. Today, we are talking about life on purpose. How do we live life on purpose? Or what is life on purpose? What does it mean? Uh, what is it that God wants to do in our lives? And so, as we continue uh, here in the book of 1 Corinthians, as we're walking through it uh, slowly, we are in chapter 9. And today, we're looking at, at chapter 9, verses 1 through 23. Uh, and you're thinking, man, we're going to be here forever if we've got to look at 23 three verses. Um, we're gonna, I've just picked out several verses out of there. We're not going to look at every one individually, but you can read through and see the other verses, and, and most of it will make sense as we go through, I hope. And um, we're, <clears throat> we're looking at one part of, of this chapter this week, and then we're going to look at a small part of it next Sunday morning as well. Uh, Paul has just concluded in chapter 8, this discussion, remember, if you were here last week, uh, on the proper attitude toward eating meat that had been offered to idols, and and a significant it was a significant concern in their day, um, and his discussion on the matter was really about the nature of you remember what it means to be the real deal to be truly spiritual. What is true spirituality? And remember, this is, this is the, the idea that he just kept pounding in chapter 8. And it was that true spirituality is, it is not measured merely by how good you are, but by how good you are to others. It is how you deal with people around you. How good are you to them? That becomes the measure of your spirituality. That's how God measures you. Uh, in case you're wondering, if as a believer, how do you interact with, how do you treat, how do you minister to the people who are around you, whether they are good, bad, or indifferent? It doesn't matter. We have to, God says, how you treat them and how you interact with them is how I'm going to uh, grade you. But this idea that your actions may affect others carries into Paul's discussion now into chapter 9. Um, and he says um, he's going to speak at great lengths about, about ministry and and the principles that guided him. He's saying, this is how my ministry goes, and these are the principles that I use, and if we're smart, if we have wisdom, we're going to pay attention to that. We're going to pay attention to how the Apostle Paul went about ministering, how life was impacted for him through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then how he trains that uh, to touch people's lives around him. And so uh, it sheds light on how we should perceive our own purpose in life uh, as we go through. And that's because, like the Apostle Paul, we all have a calling. We, we really do. It's not just 
preachers and missionaries who have a calling. Every Christian has a calling, and every person uh, in the pew has a calling on their life as well as those who are the ordained, if you will, uh, of, of the church. And, and in big picture things, and you can just write this down somewhere on your page if you want to, uh, our calling is to love God and then to love others. That's part of our calling. That's, a, that's the major calling that we have. Do we love God? How do we do that? How do we practice that? And out of that grows love for other people. And chapter 8 dealt with that a lot. Chapter 9 will continue to deal with that. And then another way of, of stating part of our calling is that we are called to share the gospel. There are those who will go to the ends of the earth to share the gospel because that's their calling. And if that's not your calling to go to the ends of the earth to share the gospel, our, your calling then is to provide the resources for them to go and share that gospel because we're all part of sending the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so that's a part of our calling. That's the general big picture of our calling. But Paul wants to get down more into the nitty-gritty here in chapter 9 about some specifics. And your calling in your life um, might be, for example, your job your vocation, what you do for a living or what you did for a living, as in you're a teacher, you're a cop, you're, you're maybe a, an accountant, maybe you're uh, an electrician, whatever it might be, that's your, that's your calling and your vocation. And so you have that calling. Or it might be that your calling is an avocation. It wasn't how you made your living, but maybe it's the things that you do. Maybe you work in children's ministry. Maybe, maybe you are um, maybe a person who writes or you sing or you're involved in outreach and so on, uh, especially here through the church. And so that's your avocation. But whatever it is, whether it is your vocation, your avocation, or some combination of both of those, this is a truth that you have to understand. And really, there are three truths that I want you to remember here. One truth is that every calling matters. I don't care what it is. If it's God's calling on your life, it matters. So it doesn't, you know, my calling is not going to be your calling. Your calling is not going to be the person behind you in the pew. It's not going to be their calling. But it's your calling. So every calling matters. And then, secondly, your calling matters. So every one of our callings matter. But I want you to leave today understanding that your particular calling matters. Because you may think, mine's not a big deal. I, don't, I would like to have somebody else's, but I don't have that. I would like to be able to play the guitar and sing like Pastor Bart, but I don't have that. I would like to be able to do whatever somebody else is doing, but I don't have that. But your calling matters because God gave it to you. And then thirdly, please understand that it must be approached, that calling must be approached as if it matters for all eternity, because it does. It's not just for here. It's not just for a few years here or a few months here. It is for all eternity. What your calling is touches lives for eternity. And that's what Paul wants us to understand today. That's what I want you to understand today. That whatever it is God has for you to do, it matters because it matters for eternity. And so we're going to look today... Uh, as we kind of just kind of do a quick overview of chapter 9 uh, at what's going on. And that we find that in chapter 9, he's continuing this others-oriented lifestyle that he began to talk about in chapter 8. In chapter 8, he started to say to us, if you remember, that, that whatever you do, because there's people around you, you're called to love them, as we just said a moment ago. And so you need to put others' needs in front of your own. That's our calling as believers. So chapter 9 continues that others-oriented lifestyle, that view. And so Paul has just finished saying that, <clears throat> that because you're a Christian, 
It doesn't matter what you eat. Remember, he's talking to the Corinthians. Where, where, what they ate made a big difference because um, some people could eat meat that was offered to idols and some couldn't eat meat that was offered to idols. And so Paul says that it, you have, just because you have the right to eat meat that has been from anywhere, you know, it doesn't matter what kind it is and what idols it was offered to because they were all false anyway. Um, he said, that doesn't mean that you should eat that meat, you recall. And so he continues that idea. He's not talking about meat anymore and eating meat, but he has the same idea that because you have freedom doesn't mean that you have to exercise that freedom. It doesn't mean that you must or you should do that. There are others to consider, and there's this big picture to consider of others and an others-oriented lifestyle that goes with that. And so he's been making this point as far back, remember, as chapter 6, and, and for now about three or four weeks we've been looking at this one verse because it just sets the pace for these, these chapters that we're in. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, in the English Standard Version, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. And so Paul has the same idea uh, behind his approach to his ministry. He said, I am not going to be enslaved by anything if it keeps me from being able to complete my calling, my ministry that God has given to me. And so he begins this chapter by, by reminding these Christians who were in Corinth and reminding us today, uh, for that matter, um, that uh, about who he is. And so Paul is going to say that I am an apostle. He says, he says I am an apostle. And, and he's had this personal encounter with a risen Lord and Savior in his life. And, and so um, the, any merit in his ministry can be seen among the Christians in Corinth themselves. He said, he said, if what I do amounts to anything, it shows in your lives. And so look at what he says in, in verse 2 here of chapter 9. Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now he's not saying that he is an apostle because he is an apostle. And so when he says, even though, or, or if, depending on the version you're reading, that's a, that's a conditional clause, and he's just saying, of course I'm an apostle, but even if I weren't an apostle somewhere else, but I am, but you know for sure I am because it shows in their life, because they had accepted his, his apostleship, and they were listening to his, apostle, his apostleship. They were paying attention to what he was saying, and they were incorporating God's word in their life because of that, and it was making a difference in who they were. And then he goes on to talk about how he had the right, like other apostles, because he certainly wasn't the only apostle during his lifetime, to receive his living from the full-time work of ministry that he was doing. Notice he says in verse 14, in the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So other apostles were receiving a full-time salary from the churches to do the ministry that God had called them to do. And Paul said that that he certainly had a right to do that. He just had not used that right. Even though he had a right, he said, it's not something I have to do right now, and so I won't. And, and he has, he's chosen instead to support himself another way. And most of you know, if you've been in any kind of a Sunday school class along the way somewhere, that Paul had a, had a, a job, he had a vocation of being a tent maker. And so he could work as a tent maker and still do the work that he was called to do. And so that was what he was doing. And he chose to, for this period of time, support himself being a tent maker rather than to lay that burden on the church or some of the churches that they would support him in his ministry. And that way he could, he could support um, his ministry without putting undue financial burden on anyone else. And even though he was, it was perfectly acceptable that he would do that and it was practiced in other churches with other men, um, he, was, he was willing to earn a living um, through his own work uh, and, and had the advantage of being able to take a different route than others uh, apostles were doing at that time. 
And on all of this, the driving force behind all of this could be found in three key principles um, or motivational factors, however you want to call them. Uh, today we're going to call them principles of purpose that kept Paul moving toward, forward toward in his entire life uh, the direction that he knew God wanted him to take in spite of all the opposition that he came his way and, and certainly everywhere he went there was opposition that came his way and he said I'm still going to do what God has called me to do no matter what and these three purpose filled principles can keep you moving in the right direction as well in your purpose in your calling it doesn't matter where you are in that journey of fulfilling your purpose here on this world. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been a believer, and it, it doesn't matter how many candles there were on your cake. These are three principles that will guide you into, into the certainty of the finish line. He said, I want you to get through that finish line and be able to say, I have done what God called me to do. So whether you're in your first lap around the track or you're on the final lap around the track and you're about to cross the finish line, these are things that we need to do. I want to challenge you to adopt these three principles into your life calling and pray for them and pursue them with your whole heart. That's what Paul's asking us to do and challenging us to do. So this morning, three purpose-filled principles that will guide you with certainty to the finish line of your life. What are they? The first one is to seek a calling that compels you. Seek or find a, 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 a calling that compels you to do what it is that you're called to do. I read a relationship guru a while back who said that the key to finding fulfilling or fulfillment in your marriage is not just to find someone that you can get along with, but to find someone that you can't get along without. And I don't know if that works in all of every marriage or not. I kind of doubt that, but I think it works in my marriage with Barm. But more importantly, perhaps, is not just to have a marriage that you have a, a mate that you can't get by without them, but also it's how it works in your life calling. And so our objective in our life calling ought to be this. In your life calling, find something that you can't not do. What can't you not do? If you don't do it, you're not complete. If you're not do it, you can't rest. If you're not do it, you're, ans you're antsy about it. What can't you not do in life? We tend to look at it the other way around. How little can I do? And God still be happy. God's not interested in that. God's saying, I've given you a calling that you can't not do. That ought to be your heart attitude. That ought to be the way you see life. And so that's what he's talking about. What is it you can't not do? And, and so that's exactly what Paul's saying about his own life work. Notice what he says in verse 16. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He said, I can't not preach the gospel. The other apostles, most of them said, I can't not preach the gospel. They told Peter, stop preaching. Stop talking about Jesus. He said, I can't stop doing that. I can't not tell about Jesus. They told Paul, stop doing that. I can't not stop doing that. He said, that's my calling, and so that's what I can't not do. And so we need to find that in ours. The greatest gift you could ever receive would be a calling in which you could say, woe to me if I do not pursue, pursue this calling in my life. If I just set it aside or if I just make it a plaything that I get out once in a while. 
and mess around with it, and then I put it back in a box, and I don't do anything with it again. He said, what is it that you have to keep out of the box and you have to do? Maybe it's, woe to me if I'm not the best parent in history to my children. Woe to me if I'm not the, if, if my garden doesn't overflow every year with, with plants and I'm able to just, just, just very quietly slip them into people's cars at church every Sunday morning all through the summer. Woe to me if I don't write. Woe to me if I'm not involved in music. Woe to me if I don't take these gifts and use them to the glory of God. Then I'm not the person I'm supposed to be. I'm not doing what I can't not do. I'm trying to stop doing that. And when you have a calling that compels you, that rewards you, and the remuneration uh, that, that, that you could get from that will take back seat. It is not about, re, it's not about being paid back. It's not about the rewards. It's all about the work. The work itself is the reward. And that's what Paul is saying. I don't have to have you pay me right now because the work is the reward. Because I get to preach the gospel. That is my reward. Now there are people, and I just picked out some names of people that are, are old enough. That they could put their calling aside. They could put what they do that they can't not do aside. Because they've got more money than they know what to do. I don't like what he writes, but Stephen King certainly doesn't write, need to write another book. He's not going to run out of money. Um, think of Jerry Seinfeld, about 70. Certainly doesn't need to write another joke and tell it. He's got enough money. Um, Bruce Springsteen. It's like 76 years old. Doesn't need to write any more music and go on any more concert tours to make a living. But they do. They continue to write. They continue to tell jokes. They continue to go on concert, tour, concert tours and, and write music. Why? Because, if they're, it's because that's what their calling is. They've continued to pursue their life work well past that age of traditional retirement because their work uh, matters to them more than anything else. But I want you to understand something. It's significant to note that no matter how successful those guys are, and they are at what they do, what they do, their work amounts to what Paul refers to later in this chapter as a perishable wreath. That means that it's only temporary and someday it will all be forgotten. Someday a preacher could stand up and say those three names, Stephen King and Jerry Seinfeld and, and, and Bruce Springsteen and people would say, who are they? Because what they're doing isn't going to last for eternity. And that doesn't mean it's good, bad, or indifferent. It's just not eternal. But what you do in your calling, if it's the calling God gave to you, does what? It lasts for eternity because it changes people's lives. It brings people to faith in Jesus Christ. It helps them grow in their spiritual life. And then they have the same process in their life. They have a calling and what they do lasts for eternity and it just multiplies that way. And we see people's lives being changed for eternity. And, and so that's what's important is that what we do for the gospel of Jesus Christ is focus on serving other people in God's holy name. And so you have a calling. And when your work contributes in some way, directly and indirectly, to someone else's Christian life, then you've done the work 
that will be measured for eternity. I want you to watch the screen for just a moment as we think about that calling. answering your calling. That's what Paul would ask today. He said, I've answered my calling. I know what my calling is. But he said, you have a calling too. Are you answering that calling? Seek the work God has compelled you to do and be willing to say, woe to me if I don't do it. Secondly, second second purpose-filled, the second spirit-filled purpose is simply to look for ways to adapt to every individual. Look for ways to adapt to every individual. Paul says in verse 19 here of 2 Corinthians, he says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He's simply saying, I choose to live an others-oriented lifestyle. I want to touch people's lives, and they're not all just like me. In fact, most of them aren't like me. Most people that you have to touch in your life aren't like you. You have a circle of friends who agree with most of what you say, and you like them. And then you have that neighbor who disagrees with everything you say. And you say, I don't like them. But you should. Not only should you like them, you have to love them. And so you have a responsibility, Paul says, to adapt yourself to them. Well, why can't they adapt to me? You have to ask God that someday. But right now, he says, it doesn't work that way. Because they may not be saved. And they may not care if they are saved. And they're not following their calling yet. But you have the opportunity to adapt yourself to them and to help them to grow in their spiritual walk, either to trust Jesus Christ as Savior or to grow in their spirituality so that they come to where they are concerned about other people as well. And so you can't blame it on them that you're not doing what God has called you to do. So you have to adapt to the people around you. He goes on to say that to the Jews, he became like a Jew. And there's a long section in there of chapter 9, and he talks about that. Um, he said he becomes like a Jew if he's around Jews and observes the law to Gentiles. He doesn't follow the Jewish rituals. He becomes like a Gentile. And even to those who are weak, he accommodates their weaknesses. I know they could be like me, but they're not. They could be stronger in their faith, but they're not. And so I will accommodate the fact that they're not. And I will still try to touch them. Notice what he says here in chapter 9, verse 22. If I be, have become all things to all men, um, excuse me, not if, he said, I have become all things to all men, so that by all, mean, all possible means I might save some. Now, some people will hear that and read that, and they'll say, well, 
Apostle Paul was always going around compromising the truth. He was compromising what was important. No, he never did. Not once can you point to a place where Paul compromised on the truth of the gospel. He never compromised on what the gospel is. The gospel message is that we are sinners, that we're all sinners. We're born that way. And without something happening in our lives, we will die and go to hell. And so God intervened, and he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world. And the creator became the created, and he lived among us for 33 years. And never once did he sin. He always had compassion, he always showed grace, and he always showed goodness. And then one day, he took all of that sin of you and, my, of you and I, and he placed it on himself. And he became that sin, and he died on the cross and paid the price for our sin so that you and I can be free. And we have spiritual life, and we're alive today because of Jesus Christ. And we will spend eternity with him. And if a person doesn't trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, they cannot be saved. They cannot go to heaven. Paul never once changed that message. That was always his message of the cross, of the gospel. When he talks about accommodating himself, accommodating those who are weaker, he is not changing the gospel one bit. But there were peripheral issues, issues that did not affect the gospel message. And he said, for those, I can set them aside. I don't have to have them all the time. And so if I'm around Jewish people, I don't have to act like a Gentile. He said, I can, I can be that Jewish person that I am so that I can tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ and they can see the gospel living in me. And if I'm around Gentiles, I don't have to worry about what the Jews are doing. And I can let them see the gospel of Christ living in me the same way. And somehow, through all of that, people get saved because they see the reality of the gospel and how it changes lives. And so Paul never lost sight of that message. And he says, but if there's any flexibility on those peripheral issues that never touch the gospel message, I'm willing to be flexible. The other day, Pastor Bart and I were talking about the 60s. I was three years old. He was 30. No, something like that. I don't know. And um, so we're talking about the 60s. And something happened in the 60s in churches across America. Suddenly, youth choirs that used to stand in straight formation, just like adult choirs did, started moving when they sang. We couldn't say we were dancing, but we were moving. We were doing choreography to the music. That was earth-shaking to a lot of churches. But it never changed the gospel message. It said, how are we going to reach young people in the 60s if we look like we're adults who are 60, but we're only 16? And so that started to happen. Churches started to become, in the 80s, seeker-friendly. Until that time, nobody, nobody's churches in the 50s, 60s, and 70s even cared about seekers. And suddenly, there was a church in Southern California that said, we really care about people who are seeking. They want spirituality. There's nowhere to find it. And so we will adapt to them. And, and uh, Rick uh, uh, Warren said this, who's the pastor of that church, he says it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. 
kind of sounds like the Apostle Paul here, doesn't he? It takes all kinds of Christians who are willing to reach all kinds of people. And so Paul just simply looked at who he's around. He looked at the people who lived around him and who were in that community where he was traveling to. And he said, what's it going to take to reach these people? And I can't expect them to change to be like me. I have to accommodate who they are so that I can share that never-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. But if I don't accommodate them, they're never going to listen. They're never going to hear. And if we can be flexible in those non-essential areas while remaining faithful to that message of the gospel, then let's do what we need to do in order to win people to Jesus Christ. Here's how that approach applies to our own life calling, our own purpose. In order for us to have influence in the lives of those around us, we need to be ready to adapt our efforts. And another way to say it is, we must be willing to throw ourselves in, uh, to, to throw ourselves into the interest of others to connect with them on their wavelength. So, well, I wish they were on my wavelength. Well, they're not. So get over it. You have to change. You have to adapt if you're going to reach people. William Barclay, the commentator, uh, said this many years ago. He said, a man who can never see anything but his own point of view and who never makes any attempt to understand the mind and heart of others will never make a pastor or an evangelist or even a friend. If you think everybody around you has to think and act and look and dress just like you, you'll never have a friend. Or if you find one, it will be highly unlikely. You'll have to search a long time because you will be cutting people off from you. You'll be putting a wall around you that says, I'm sorry, you're not like me, you can't come in. Or we can choose to open the doors and say, please, come in. I want to know who you are. And Paul says it is our job, it is our responsibility to bend ourselves to other people. We may be free and we may be independent and, 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 and our very own boss in every way, but we have to be willing to bend to accommodate, to give ourselves in the service to other people. That's our calling. That's our purpose, that we have to accommodate other people. The third principle Paul talks about is to run your, way, your race with the intent to win. Run your race with the intent to win. Now, verses 24 through 27, those four verses we're going to deal with next Sunday because they're so loaded with stuff. So we're going, to, we're going to spend all the time there, but I'm going to give you a sneak preview for next week, okay? Here in, in this third point, this third principle. Verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. He's saying what? He's saying... I want you to pursue excellence in everything. So in pursuing excellence in everything, this is what he's going to say. Strive for holiness. Strive in your life for holiness in a way that we reach out to others in the way that we live for Jesus. And so he says to you and I as believers, we need to strive for holiness so that we can reach out to other people in the way that we live. Let them see the holiness of Jesus living in you. Let them see the light of the gospel living in you. And when you understand what your calling is, and then you are, are willing to bend and to accommodate other people, then as you strive for holiness in what you do, doing what you can't not do, 
They will see the gospel, they will see the truth, and then they can respond to that, and they will respond to that, Paul says. That's exactly what he did. And his words echo the same words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 9.10, and we read it earlier in, in our worship service, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Just do what you do. Do what your calling is, your vocation or your avocation, but do it well, do it good, do it the best you can. And just keep doing that. And every now and then, we all need to take a little mediocrity test because we have a tendency to get lazy and we have a tendency to say, well, that's good enough. You know what the... You know what some of the worst words to ever use in a church? For a church to say, that's good enough. When somebody tells me, that's good enough, pastor, I want to strangle them. But it doesn't seem very pastoral to do that. <laughs> good enough is never good enough for God. Nowhere in the Bible does God say, just be good enough. It's good enough. He says, you're just being lazy. You don't care. Paul says, you ought to care about your neighbors, your friends. You ought to care about people who are living on the other side of the world who never even heard the name Jesus. And good enough is not good enough. Good enough is when you get to where they are and you make a difference in their lives. But when we say good enough, we mean we're just lazy. We don't care what it looks like. We don't care how it sounds. It's good enough. It means I'm lazy and I want to hold on to my own money, thank you. That's what it means for those of us who are believers. And Paul said, get that language out of your mouth. Get that out of your head. Because that's from Satan. Satan knows that will keep people in hell. That will keep people going to hell. Paul said, be excellent in it. Do it with all your might. Do it to the best that you can. If you need to take this test, this check, if there's an, stop and think, is there any area in my area of responsibility that I'm approaching only half-heartedly? Is there anything that I'm supposed to be doing in my Christian walk that I'm not giving it everything I've got? And if there is, I need to change that. I need to start doing it with all my heart. I need to ask myself, is there something I could be doing better? If there is, do it better. If I have to learn something, I need to learn it. If I need to get some training, I need to get that training. But if there's something I could do better, I ought to be doing it better and taking steps to do it better. Am I giving it my all? Or am I just throwing in the towel? Am I just showing up? But that's all I do. Theologian Howard Hendricks said this. He said, I have never met a Christian who sat down and planned to live a mediocre life. But if you keep going in the direction in which you're moving, you may land there. What he's saying? can't be afraid to change, to make changes in your life, to make changes to get training, to make changes to figure out what it is you need to be doing and how you ought to be doing it better. Otherwise, you're going to end up where you don't want to be. George Allen, the late George Allen, died in, in I think, in 1990. Um, NFL coach had a sign on his desk to serve as a daily reminder to stay focused. And this is what his sign said. It said, it's what I'm doing right now taking me closer to my ultimate goal of winning. What am I doing right now taking me to my ultimate goal of winning? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. We might ask it a little bit differently. We might say, Am I moving in the direction I want my life to go? 
I want my life to go the way God wants it to. I want my life to be what God wants it to be. So am, am I moving my life in the direction that I want my life to go? And am I doing it with a sense of urgency? I'm not saying, God, I'll get around to it next week. I'll get around to it next year. Am I doing it with a sense of urgency? Am I saying, God, I want to do it right now? And next week, we're going to talk a lot more about living a disciplined, focused life. But for today, we see that it begins with a commitment to live our lives in a pursuit of excellence in the calling that we've received from Jesus Christ. Paul's life, Apostle Paul's life could have been very much different had he chosen other directions. It didn't have to go the way that it did. He could have stayed home. He could have traveled less. But he would rather have traveled and shared the gospel. Even though it would have been much easier not to. He wanted to go into new territories, even though it would cost him. The Apostle Paul could have traveled with his wife. But he chose to remain single so they could be less distracted in his work. The Apostle Paul could have earned an income for his efforts, but he chose to work in the ministry for free, making tents on the side so as not to burden any church. Why did he do that? Why did he choose a hard road rather than an easy one? He tells us in verse 23, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing." the sake of the gospel that I can share in his blessings. What blessings? He can get paid. He got beaten. Ultimately, he was killed. So what were the blessings? What blessings made all of that worthwhile? I believe it was observing firsthand the miracle of changed lives. Because that was an eternal blessing. Those were eternal changes. People who were on their way to hell were going to spend eternity in heaven. People who were on their way to hell are now telling others that they don't have to go to hell either. They're changing lives. It was that miracle of changed lives. It was seeing up close what God can do in the lives of others. And he said, if I can see what God can do in the lives of others, I will choose an others-oriented lifestyle every day and twice on Sunday. That's what the blessing was for the Apostle Paul. It's the same blessing that can be for us. Now, none of us are called to be the Apostle Paul. We already had one of those. We don't need another one. None of us are going to be apostles. But we are certainly called by God to live our lives according to the same principles that filled Paul's life with purpose. And so, friends, we can seek to be compelled by that calling. We can say, God, I want to do that. You called me to do. I can't not do it. We can each ask God to make our, his calling clear in our lives and so dear to our hearts that we can't not do it. And we can all adapt our lives for the good of others. We can, we can learn to be all things to all people, to be willing to say, if I can change my approach in a way that will benefit the lives of others, I will change my approach. I won't change the gospel message, but I will change my approach by which they can hear the gospel message. And then we can choose to run our lives with excellence. 
We want to win. We want to have excellence in our lives. We can choose to take a calling that we've received and do it to the very best of our ability, whether it's teaching or parenting or whether it's preaching or whether it's gardening or singing or taking care of someone else. We can pursue excellence in whatever that calling is. That's what it looks like to live your life on purpose. Challenge you today live on purpose this week. Let's pray together. Father, right now, we thank you that we can live life on purpose. To say, I have a reason to be here. I have a reason to get up in the morning. I have a reason to engage with people around me because I have a calling. Maybe it's my job where I go 40 hours a week. Maybe it's an avocation that I love to do. But I do it with excellence because I want to be able to touch people's lives. I want them to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. Or if they know Christ as Savior, I want them to grow in their Christian walk as well. And I want to be a part of that. I want to receive, I want to see that blessing of the miracle of changed lives. And to know that just some part of that you allowed me to be involved with. Thank you for Jesus who loves us, who gives us eternal life, who cares about every issue that we deal with. Let him be Lord of everything we do. Let him give us direction. Let us listen to the Holy Spirit as he leads us into areas where we may not be comfortable. But realizing that we can't not do it, we have to follow. Let us be obedient to every calling. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we stand together this morning and sing, if God's speaking to your heart today, maybe you need to trust Jesus to be your Savior. Maybe you thought just showing up was all you needed to do once in a while. Maybe you never realized that you have to make a choice to let Jesus come into your heart. You have to confess. You have to repent. You have to receive the gift of salvation. If you need to do that today and you want to speak to somebody, you come. If you're online with us, you can get in touch with us this week and we'd be glad to share with you that good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's just saying, God, I want to be purposeful in my life this week. Would you make that commitment? Let's pray. To, uh, let's sing together. Thank you for joining us today for Faith Point. Reach us online at firstsouthernpv.org or stop by to worship with us if you are in the Prescott Valley area. May God richly bless you today as you allow your faith to intersect with your life.